Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we talk all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform of course you choose to follow us on. And I'm really glad because I got that intro first time this time, the last episode we recorded I had to do about five or six takes to the point where I just gave up. So it's nice to see normal service resume. Courtney knows exactly what I'm talking about. But of course, guys, we are discussing this week's podcast. We are going to be focusing on the US Grand Prix. Very much thick and fast coming to us. And it's so nice that we're going to be going back to the Circuit of Americas this year after unfortunately missing out owing to COVID. I'm pretty sure the American fan base and of course the rest of the world included are very much looking forward to F1 returning to Texas. And joining me on this episode as always, my co-host Courtney Pine. Courtney, first of all, how are you doing? Are you okay? Hello, everyone. Yeah, can't complain. Had a good weekend uh, with family. And I am very, very much looking forward to the business end of the season now because this, this championship is getting... It just feels like it's just remaining tight and we're running out of races now. So I think every result is going to be pivotal from now on. Mm, absolutely. And given what we've been hearing the last, I suppose, couple of weeks and what we saw at the Turkish Grand Prix, perhaps it's not as cut and dry at the front as perhaps we might have thought a few weeks ago, perhaps we may get that nail-biter climactic end of the season finish that I think all of us have been hoping we were going to get. It looks like we might actually have that after all if we have our way. But of course, joining us on this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, some of you may have already rec- recognised this man already, uh, very much um, quite a popular gentleman in the American F1 community on social media, at least. I've certainly been uh, following and enjoying his content for a little while, but we're joined by uh, our friend over across the pond, uh, Bryson Sullivan. Bryson, first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us on the DNF1 F1 podcast. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing just fine, and I ha- it's not a problem at all to come and talk to you guys. I love talking about Formula One probably too much, actually, <laughs> if anything. So oh, you come I'm to the wrong to- place. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am glad to uh, discuss a few things with you guys. I, I am looking forward to the U.S. Grand Prix this season has been extraordinary for a number of reasons. So much closer than we all thought it might have been in the mid part of the season. I'm looking forward to an exciting couple of races. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And of course, with the US Grand Prix coming up, I, I feel like this could potentially be a race where a lot of suspicions about latest round of upgrades or current performance, particularly in a few teams in particular, 
mostly at the front. We may get a few answers to those questions, which might help paint a picture to where this championship may end up going, particularly between Lewis Hamilton and, of course, his title rival Max Verstappen. And uh, that brings us nicely, of course, and I think we should start first and foremost with the US Grand Prix preview if we can. And Bryson, I want to come to you first on this one, particularly with the battle at the front. I know, you know, you, you are quite a big Lewis Hamilton fan. I think it's fair to say. Um, with this battle this season between him, Max Verstappen in particular, could you have imagined a scenario like we are in right now where the season has been so up and down for both drivers for different reasons and their respective teams? And now we're in a situation where, despite everything else, we have no idea where this championship is going <laughs> to go. I mean, what are your thoughts on this season so far? Yeah, I, I definitely am a fan of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton for sure, but... I- I would say I'm a fan of Formula One as a sport before that. I would say I was involved in Formula One kind of before either of these groups came to prominence. I probably will be after they're done as well. So I am enjoying the battle from a slightly more neutral point of view than than maybe some others might. But I definitely am am rooting for Lewis for sure. In, In terms of how this actually happened, it's kind of amazing. Mercedes has gone through two or three iterations of taking a car that's not really optimal and finding a way to make it work. I don't know if you guys remember, but in winter testing in in Bahrain, you know, lap one, turn four, whatever turn it was, we immediately could see something was was off uh, about the W12. And for Mercedes to have taken a car like that and not only make it competitive this late in the season with a limited number of upgrades, but to actually be as, as close as they are in, in points is actually pretty amazing. Um, of course, there were some controversial races, you know, Silverstone and Hungary, et cetera. But there are also, are, there are also some, some amazing drives in there as well. Uh, Lewis effectively starting from the back and coming to ultimately be third and then second after Sebastian's penalty. Those are the types of drives that are uh, front of mind when I think of why the championship is as close as it is. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, it's interesting, Bryson, because, you know, what's key, I think, this season, as, as you said, there's so many mitigating circumstances where you've had Mercedes so reliable, so dominant over the last seven or eight years now, to the point where it was a massive shock to everybody, despite the sudden rule changes that we got for 2021, which for the sport from a competitive perspective has been an absolute godsend. And hopefully 2022 will replicate that or even take that to even newer heights for the rest of the field. But, you know, as a result of that, it has pegged Mercedes back a bit. They've had had to play catch up, which to their credit, it's been a tough ordeal, but they have done a great job um, sticking in this battle with Red Bull to the point now where we still don't know where it's going to go. Um, and in Lewis Hamilton, I think we could all agree it's it's been by far from his best season in Formula One. He has had the odd mistake and the odd issue where he's not been at his best, but he's still hanging in there. And... That's the key thing, because we saw the Russian Grand Prix. We thought it was going to be a slam dunk win for Lewis, and he was able to win that race inherently because of the, uh, you know, Mercedes making the best call at the right time, whereas McLaren and Lando Norris equally didn't. But, you know, for me, when I saw Max Verstappen pull alongside him in P2, the first thing that came to mind was, I don't know, I feel like Max has got this for the rest of the season. But then, of course, we went to Turkey. Lewis Hamilton obviously having to have a new ICE because of the prolonged uh, wear and tear that the Mercedes engines have had over the course of the season, the grueling season that we're going to have if F1 have their way. And it just felt that 
you know, all the while it, Red Bull just had that advantage. But then after the Turkish Grand Prix, despite Lewis perhaps not getting the result he wanted, the pace was evidently there. So now we're going to be going to the US Grand Prix, a track where historically Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton in particular have enjoyed so much success in this turbo hybrid era in particular. It just feels like perhaps we've reached that turning point. Mercedes have somehow found that little nugget of performance that we didn't think was possible once again. I know how silly of us to doubt them, but it seems perhaps they may be going into this race a lot more confident when perhaps we would have given them credit for. Certainly. I, I think there's a fundamental difference in philosophy of the way Red Bull and Mercedes tend to do their upgrades. Um, Mercedes seems to do far more sparsely spaced out upgrades, but they seem to be more impactful, whether they're on the aero side or, or on the ECU side, on the, on the uh, ICU, the engine side. Um, I, I think that seven years of dominance has done psychological effects to the other teams and to the fans, you know, even we were questioning, are they really having trouble or are they sandbagging? It it took several races for us to really be convinced. Oh no, this is actually real. One thing I would say about the 2021 regulations is that it's true that there, that was a step change in what Mercedes's pace advantage was over the field, but they've actually been gradually losing time every year a little bit since you know 2015 you know 2016 they've had such a large advantage that it's gotten it's kind of gotten um masked by the overall changes and the overall appearance of dominance but their lead has actually been receding slowly over time we've just really seen it most recently i don't know how 2022 is going to go (laughs) i know some people are hoping for a ferrari uh, coup d'etat completely acing those rules and and actually making a car that's uh more than competitive with the rest of the teams. But yeah, it, it's amazing what Mercedes has actually done. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, you know, I, I like the way that you phrased it, that Mercedes over the course of the cyber hybrid era, obviously they had that mammoth advantage in 2014. Of course, 2016, another season where they were completely untouchable. And despite Hamilton and Rosberg going hammer and tongs at each other, throwing everything almost to the detriment of their own team from time to time, there was never really a clear threat to that. So they could be afforded to do that, probably similar to how... Proston Senna was for McLaren back in 89, you know, similar hallmarks to that. And, um, you know, the rules have had their effect this season. It has allowed us to have this title battle where Red Bull, after so many years of feeling perhaps like they were late to the party, they weren't involved in the hybrid era, they were struggling with engine issues, etc., etc. They now have an overall package that can not only challenge Mercedes, but with the right driver in Max Verstappen, for example, they do have an overall package good enough to win at least one championship. Whether they win the constructors is a different battle altogether. But um, Courtney, I want to bring you into this discussion as well because you know, uh, you know, Bryson's made a lot of good points about Mercedes already and what Hamilton has done in this turbo hybrid era and this season how they've been able to unlock little bits of performance in the car despite it not being a perfect season by their regular high standards. You've been saying to me for a while now that Mercedes seem to have unlocked some sort of performance in their car, perhaps that was embedded, laid dormant, if you like, and it just took something to find that. Do you feel that is definitely the case with Mercedes, or do you feel that they're able to upgrade this car on the sly, if you like, um, and all of a sudden it's culminated in arguably what could end up being the best overall package for the rest of the season? I think we'll definitely get answers with this upcoming race um, because if you have a look at the circuit of the Americas, there are a lot of similarities between this circuit and the uh, the circuit in Turkey. I know there's some more slow speed corners in the circuit of the Americas in comparison, but 
we're not going to a completely different track specific. So if Mercedes and Lewis in particular have another good race, I think it definitely confirms that they have unlocked some potential in the car because I, I do think that's what they've done. They've unlocked potential in the car rather than making massive upgrades. They've been very vocal and focusing on next year. So I think they've probably just put more research in this current car and they've found some pace that they struggled with, particularly at the start of the season. But yeah, I think the next race will be, it will define where Mercedes are with their package. And I think it could be a vital weekend for Mercedes because even if they have caught up, if you go forward to Mexico and Brazil, Red Bull and Max in particular are very strong at those coming circuits. So Lewis and Mercedes, knew, they definitely need to get a strong result this coming weekend. Yeah, absolutely right on the Red Bull front. I think they will definitely fancy the chances at those venues coming up. But of course, this is a big weekend for both teams for different reasons. Um, on the topic of Red Bull, uh, Bryson, if if I may uh, just sort of go a bit sideways for a little bit with Red Bull, it does seem that from their perspective, this sudden improvement from Mercedes, which has by you know from the first glance at least bridged the gap between the two teams in terms of performance for now. It does seem from what we're hearing from Red Bull, whether it be Max Verstappen asking for more speed or just felt like he didn't have any chance of beating Bottas in Turkey. And uh, of course, Christian Horner talking about you know, these accusations that mis- of foul play from Mercedes in terms of their new engine, or he can't explain how Mercedes are finding performance, not to mention the struggles Red Bull had in Turkey with setup. It didn't seem like they had the right setup balance at all weekend. Do you feel that there's a genuine fear from Red Bull's side that they may genuinely believe that Mercedes have found something that they may not be able to answer back to. I I do feel that. And I, as I said before, you know, seven years or so of domination will get into the head of your competitors. It will always make you second guess yourself and what you're doing. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Red Bull has every right to inquire as many times as they want about as many things as they want. They wouldn't be doing their job if they didn't attempt to do that. The question is, is there any substance to it? As, as far as I can tell, there's not. Re- regarding Red Bull's setup issues, that really is an interesting uh, thing that caught out several teams. And it actually is or, or is, is sort of um, originates from the high grip levels of the Turkey circuit. I don't think anyone really understood or predicted just how much grip there was actually going to be. And depending on the actual grip of the surface, it fundamentally changes how the turn, uh, turning of the car works, how the balance works. Some cars just adapt to it better than others. So it's it's something that kind of caught Red Bull out. I don't think it would be the same situation in, in Austin. So I agree that's a, a much better, a much more representative data point for determining whether or not Mercedes has really made a, a, a jump in performance. One thing I would say is that we're in this mindset of upgrades to the car, changing diffusers or barge boards or front wings. Those things are definitely performance adding changes that you can make. But also, we know that Mercedes has had to get creative with the car they already have to get some of that performance back. We know one of the reasons the Red Bull is so powerful is that it has a very high rate philosophy. One of the things that allows it to happen is that Red Bull has a very short wheelbase to their car. So even if even if Mercedes tries to sort of jack up the rear of their car to kind of emulate that high rate philosophy, it's actually much harder for Mercedes because their wheelbase is so much longer. What I think may have happened is Mercedes have found a way to run the W12 at a higher rate than it was designed for. And there may have been some, some tricky aspects to the setup to, to run that in a reliable way, number one. And number two, design it in a way that the drivers can actually live with. Right? As we've kind of discussed in, in the past, maybe in threads, 
the more uh, front loaded or front end your your car is, it tends to be the bias of a, a more efficient aerodynamic package. If a driver can live with a more pointy car, it tends to pay dividends and overall lap time. So we'll we'll see how things are in Austin, but I, I definitely think that Mercedes has made a a big step. At least <laughs> Christian Horner thinks so, um, but we'll know for sure on on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you mentioned that pointy front end. There are certain drivers that always favour that, one of which, of course, is Max Verstappen. And that was an issue that he was complaining about a lot in Turkey. He just felt the car just felt so understeery at the front. He just wasn't able to throw it in. Whereas Lewis loves a lively car, particularly at the rear. And perhaps those sort of changes to the Mercedes, as you mentioned, with their, uh, you know, the wheelbase and the rake setup that they that they had at the start of the season compared to where they are now. It just seems a complete contrast now where Mercedes do look like they've been able to find levels of performance or work around the sort of obstacles that they've had to face this season to produce a car package now, which manages to at least tick the boxes at certain circuits where we probably written them off. I mean, I certainly written them off at Turkey. I did not think they were going to be the dominant team. Um, and how wrong were we? Complete fraud. I just want to say on, on a separate note, Bryce, and I absolutely love the technical analysis there, honestly, because this yeah, is something that stuff, I love like... to bring in from time to time on the pod. But obviously, I don't want to alienate or isolate listeners that aren't really interested in the technical side so much. So I could talk to you about the technical side of F1 for <laughs> ages, mate. I might have to do that after we finish with this one. But um, <laughs> absolutely enjoy that. But of course... Uh, guys, um, regarding the battle, of course, with Hamilton and Max Verstappen, I think it's a good way to sort of round this and bring it back to the race itself now between the two of them. Of course, both of them have had their high moments this season. Others have had their sort of lower moments, particularly Monza, Silverstone, for example, where they clashed together. Um, we didn't really see those two go toe-to-toe in Turkey or even in Russia to some degree, obviously because of the grid penalties. Is there a fear that whilst we want them to go toe-to-toe together... Um, there's two things that come to mind that I'm worried about. Is there a fear that these two aren't going to be able to avoid clashing with each other when they go up against each other, which seems inevitable they will? And in addition to that, is there a potential for more reliability issues, particularly on the Mercedes side uh, of the garage? Because whilst Mercedes seem to have found that extra performance, it does seem that their championship battle hangs in the balance uh, in terms of whether or not they can run the car at the levels they want to without a risk of any further reliability issues. Yeah, I, I would definitely say that that's, that's a possibility. I think all of us kind of, whenever these two drivers get close together, now we're kind of primed for uh, something to happen. We're not sure what. So far, it's only been at sprint races that it's been an issue. So maybe <laughs> there's, a cause, there's a causal relationship there. We can relax this, this upcoming weekend because it's not a sprint race. You know, I, I don't know if there's any truth to that, but but perhaps... Um, I, I think objectively Lewis has made more mistakes this season than, than Max has. Um, I think Max has made some questionable decisions that he's chosen to do in certain areas. Um, but, but pure mistakes is, is, is kind of a separate matter. We'll, we'll see uh, if they're able to race side by side together. Seeing Checo and Lewis race hard, but I would say reasonably fair in Turkey, tells me that it's definitely possible to do. The question is, will each driver make the conscientious decision to allow the battle to unfold, potentially at their own detriment, and avoid a crash? That's the ultimate question, because if they can do that, I think we'll have one of the best possible finishes to the season. 
Yeah, absolutely agree. And and, and it's interesting you brought out that battle with Checo because I thoroughly enjoyed that. And and I agree, that is literally as hard and fair racing, I think, as you can find anywhere in Formula One. You know, it, it was on the limits, even beyond that some ways where Checo had to go around the pit lane entrance, but he made it work and it was brilliant to watch. Part of me feels like, uh, and this isn't a dig at Max Verstappen or Lewis in any way, given the history of what we've seen already this season, but part of me would have felt that if Max was in that position, would Lewis have given him as much room as he gave to Checo? Would Max have given Lewis as much room at the end? I almost feel like the last corner, Max might have tried to dive bomb in because he was annoyed Lewis forced him as wide as he did and then he ended up with another collision. I just, because it was Checo, I felt like there was a little bit of a, of a respect between the two in the sense that they can give each other that room and they'll be fine. But, you know, they're not battling for the championship though, so at least not the driver's championship. So um, against each other, of course. But um, Courtney... Um, in addition to that, I think it's a nice way to sort of bring us back to the number two drivers. Uh, obviously, we we were just talking briefly about Checo, had a great race last weekend, all things considered, to get onto the podium. Bottas, of course, getting his first win of the season, first since Sochi last year. Do you feel that there's still life left in this championship um, for Bottas and Checo to really play their parts? Because they did a good job last, uh, last time out in Turkey, but I feel like both teams are going to want them to have more involvement to support the number one drivers in their team. Do you feel that that's possible for them or are we just going to be restricted to them picking up the pieces when their teammates can't deliver on the day? I think we're seeing an improvement from both of the drivers recently, but I think a lot more so from Valtteri Bottas. You know, Valtteri Bottas was flawless over the weekend. Apart from not getting pole, which even then was close, he had a pretty much flawless race. I've, I just seems since that, that move to Alfa Romeo and Russell replacing him has been announced. He's found a new lease of life. Um, he's just having a, a carefree attitude and it's, you know, and he's showing on track. And I just feel that at this stage, I think Valtteri Bottas is going to win Mercedes this Constructors' Championship and he could play a role in deciding the, um, the Drivers' Championship. Um, going back to slightly, I'm, I'm concerned that reliability could rob sort of drivers not credibility as such but let's just say that either Max or Lewis wins because the other driver breaks down I think we're going to have a similar scenario to what we saw about Nico Rosberg in 2016 oh he only won because the other car had reliability issues so I hope that we do get a fair battle between the two of them going in towards the end of the season but I do think going back to what you just asked I think Valtteri Bottas is going to play a much bigger role in this than Sergio Perez yeah, it does seem that Valtteri, throughout the course of the season, has uh, he, he's been able to perform at a higher level than Perez has, and he's been able to get on top of his car better than Perez has. But then, of course, we know there are a lot of reasons as to why that is. Um, Perez has not been able to adapt to this quite complex but equally brilliant Red Bull in the same way that uh, Max Verstappen, of course, has been there for so many years. Maybe that will improve next season when we have that reset. You know, time will tell. But um, it, it does feel like there is that inevitability with the reliability factor that there could potentially be one problem for somebody uh, that could dictate where this championship goes. I certainly hope that's not the case. Um, do you feel from Mercedes' perspective, uh, Bryson, that there is a genuine fear for them that they may have to take another engine penalty, particularly for Lewis Hamilton in this championship battle? Because obviously he's had his fourth ICE now, according to Total Wolf, the electronic parts that sort of support the ICE are in very, very good condition, at least for the amount of running that they've done this season. Um, but there does seem to be that fear that Mercedes have analysed and found the weaknesses with their engine, but there's nothing they can do about it until next season when they obviously have the reset. So 
for now, it, from their perspective, it just seems like we'll manage this situation as best we can um, and, and just hope for the best. Whereas, of course, you've got Honda, who had those problems earlier in the season, but they've managed to get on top of it. So I feel like if there's going to be an issue for someone reliability-wise, I can only think of it as Mercedes and perhaps Lewis, unfortunately. What are your thoughts on that? I, I do think that's a genuine concern, not only because of the reasons that you said that there were issues with Lewis's car and, and that they are actually able to sort of figure out what was going wrong. The fact that they changed only the ICE instead of the entire power unit itself tells me they know enough about the problem so they can sort of delineate where it actually is to be able to make changes that are effective. They, they could have gone to the back of the grid like Max did uh, at, at Sochi, but they knew they probably didn't have to. And if they can isolate the issue as being primarily with the ICE itself, as opposed to the turbo or the exhaust or anything else, that actually might, might allow them to remain competitive, even if their reliability woes to, to be there um, to consider. I, I don't think we're going to have a Malaysia 2016 type of, blow up um it, it could happen certainly um but i think that they are handling the issue well enough to avoid it if possible they would rather be safe and take a grid penalty than try to run the engine out itself uh and potentially have a blow up on track as you mentioned toto has not ruled out the possibility of taking another uh, ice so that alone tells me that the reliability issues are real Many people in Sochi were concerned that Valtteri was being sent to the back of the grid to interfere with Valtteri Bottas. I think, or with uh, Max Verstappen, excuse me. I think we know enough now to realize that even though that was a, a spicy headline at the time, that probably wasn't accurate. There really were engine issues going on um, that sent Valtteri to the back of the grid. So we'll, we'll see how it is. I, I hope the championship isn't decided by reliability issue, but this is Formula One. You know, it's not about it's not about if you deserve a championship or not. It's about whether you get enough points to win. And if your engine blows, then that's just that's just the way it goes. Well, this is it. I mean, nobody's going to care at the end of the day. In ter- I mean, there will obviously be some people that will care depending on which team you support, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But a lot of people, in in my opinion, will probably be if they're Max Verstappen fans, will be annoyed if Lewis wins this championship by such a close margin, owing to what happened at Silverstone and Hungary and obviously the the issue that Max had that wasn't his fault at Baku. They'll, they'll look at moments like that, but then equally you could say the same if Max was to win this championship by a small margin about certain incidents like Monza, for example. Or Spa. Or Spa, yeah, absolutely. I was just <laughs> going to say, and, you know, because of the nature of how that race unfolded and uh, well, or didn't actually at all. But, um, you know, it, it is that interesting dynamic. Of course, we don't want the season to end in or to be decided uh, by a reliability issue. But it does, particularly with Bottas's uh, recent issues that he's had after Monza, where they had that new power unit, they had to bin that, put another one in at Sochi. Um, and and, and on, that su- on that subject, um, you know, whether it was tactical or not at the time, I had no problem with this. I thought it was brilliant. I, you know, because Mercedes, for me, as a, you know, admitted Ferrari fan, as impartial as I try to be on this show, I've always been used to a team like Ferrari always administering team orders to support their number one guy. They did it with Schumacher. They probably did it a lot before him. They've certainly did it with Fernando Alonso, uh, particularly, you know, in Germany 2010. And of course, at Cota as well, a few uh, back when he was fighting for the championship back then, when they removed the seal on Massa's engine to give him a grid penalty, just so Alonso could start on the clean side of the track. I mean, I have no problems with that. I actually love that Mercedes 
well, at the time, we thought they were going to do that. So, you know, forgive me if I'm a little disappointed that it was actually for reliability issues rather than saying, <laughs> actually, we're tactically going to try and put a buffer in front of Verstappen. Um, you know, but that being said, you're right. I, there is a concern that Mercedes perhaps are trying to juggle performance and reliability at the moment. They obviously feel that when they can run that engine at its full capacity, they have an advantage in the straight lines, which is going to be key this weekend, particularly going into turn 12 in the DRS section. It's going to be massive for Lewis. Um, and then, of course, Red Bull have got the setup issues that they have to try and find a solution to themselves. Ever since Sochi, it just seems that they're just not able to find that perfect balance, that range that they've had so much fortune with this season. So to sum it all up, I suppose, before we move on to the next talking point, how do you see it going this weekend? Uh, do you feel that Mercedes and Hamilton were going to continue with their advantage they had in Turkey and perhaps without any reliability issues get the win? Or do you feel that we still have more to see from Verstappen and Red Bull? Because right now, I honestly have no idea which way this could go. It could go either way. I I would normally, under normal circumstances, in a normal championship, especially with the momentum that Mercedes has recently, I would say Mercedes would actually be on in line for a 1-2 in Coda, actually. The problem is this season has thrown up so many surprising results, and we've just seen this kind of arms race, this kind of technological arms race between Mercedes and Red Bull that have pushed each team to the limit, you know, in terms of reliability or, or innovation. Um, even tracks that we would normally consider to be Mercedes tracks, they weren't actually as strong at, you know. So I, I will say Mercedes still, but I recognize the reality that it really could be anyone's race. That's fair enough. Uh, Courtney, how do you see it going down? And of course, bear in mind as well, um, Red Bull have been quite famously this year running skinny wings, if you like, to try and counter the Mercedes pace advantage that they seem to have had. That doesn't seem to be working anymore. So I'm wondering if Red Bull are going to have to try and go even more extreme with that setup to kind of detriment them, I suppose, in the you know tight and twisty first sector and, of course, the final sector as well, just to make sure that they can stay ahead of the Mercs if they can in that fast uh, run up to turn 12, of course, with the DRS section. I mean, how do you see this weekend going down for both teams? I think there's no doubt in that Mercedes and Lewis have found some pace, but at the same time, I think we'd be foolish to rule that Max. I think if Red Bull are anywhere near close to Mercedes pace-wise, I think Max is going to be there. Max is going to be so hungry for this championship. You know, he's been waiting for several years now for the opportunity. And he's going to take the slightest opportunity he gets. And you know what? Apart from the mistakes he's made with the capacity of Lewis, his actual racecraft has been fantastic all season. So he's in great form. So, yeah, I think, I think if Red Bull are close to Mercedes... Max will be there or thereabouts. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I I have no idea. I, I'm not going to give a prediction uh, at this point in the episode, purely and simply because, uh, Bryson, obviously you might not know, but I have a very much infamous reputation for getting these predictions horribly wrong to the point where I alienate half the fan base, depending on which side I decide to go with for the weekend. And they just hate me because I've jinxed their driver by saying they're going to win. Um, last in Turkey, I thought Max Verstappen was going to be comfortable with Lewis's penalty, and it, he wasn't even in the frame because Bottas was amazing. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to offer a prediction just yet. But um, on on that subject uh, between Max and Lewis with this championship, how much it's going to mean to both of them, I think we can all agree that for Max Verstappen, if he does go on to win this world championship this season, 
no matter what he goes on to achieve in the sport after that, you could argue that this will be the greatest achievement of his career, not just because it's his first world title, but because of what he's had to do to win it and who he's had to beat, more importantly, to do that. I mean, the accolades of the driver he's up against um, will rival and, and trump everybody else. Nobody has achieved what Lewis has. But the the question I'm intrigued to ask is, if Lewis wins this championship from this position, given the struggles he has had this season, the mistakes that he has made, um, and the fact he's just hung in there, you know, by fortune or by his own brilliance, for whatever reason you want, where would this championship for Lewis Hamilton, if he was to win the eighth world title this season, where would that rank amongst the others that he has won? Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting question because there is kind of a recency bias in this. You know, there's no question that this particular season has been one of the most thrilling of the last several. But of course, we remember that. But I, I do remember 2007. I do remember 2008. Those those incredible uh, championships. And I think a championship that you know is close is one where there's different drivers champions and constructors champions. Those, those are some of the ones that are some of the best seasons that you've ever had historically, precisely because the cars are so close. Circuit dependence actually has a big impact on who wins at a, at a given time. Um, I think it, it still wouldn't be the best for me. It, it wouldn't be. I think actually 2008 would, would be the best championship for, for Lewis, but this would be a close second. I think this would definitely be one of the hardest fought championships he's had in, in recent memory and precisely because he's kind of dragging results out of a car that initially at least was not on the pace of a Red Bull he has hung in there um, by fortune and, and by brilliance as you mentioned um, that's of course incredibly impressive but the the dog fight <laughs> that he was in with uh, you know Felipe Massa early on and, and others um, just was, was salient in my mind so for me, it would be a very, very close second, uh, this particular championship if Lewis wins. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, that was the other season in particular I was thinking of as well. And as you mentioned, it's important to have brilliant constructors going toe-to-toe, not just the drivers, of course. And, you know, that was by far Felipe Massa's greatest season, you know, and he was so unlucky not to win a world championship that season. That's just how it goes sometimes. It can be decided literally on the final corner of the final race on the final lap of the season. And I hope we get something similar this season as well between Max or Lewis, whichever way it goes. Of course, we might be being a little bit presumptuous as, as well, you know, saying, you know, some fans say, oh, you know, you don't want to say Lewis is definitely going to win the title. We're already talking about where that ranks amongst the others. He hasn't even won it yet. Um, but we're going to do it for fun anyway, because that's what we do here. But Courtney, I'm going to come to you as well. Uh, would you agree with Bryson saying that 2008 would trump this season in terms of Lewis's, uh, if he was to triumph this season, or do you feel that, given the opposition he's up against this season, an incredible Max Verstappen, a driver who arguably the greatest talent we've seen in the sport since Lewis Hamilton if in particular. Uh, what are your thoughts on this season if Lewis was to win? Where would that rank? It would certainly be up there. I think, yeah, two, 2008, I mean, the circumstances in which he won it were just, uh, to this day, just it brings back great memories. But for me, I think... It's, it's too early to talk about Max's credentials overall so early into his career. But he's probably the best driver that Lewis has come up against in a championship battle since Fernando Alonso at the very beginning of his career. And, you know, and Lewis is getting older now and he's had to condition his body with his diet and his exercise in order to stay on a certain level. So I think in terms of personal achievements, I reckon if he was to win this, 
it would probably go down as one of his favourite because, as I said about five minutes ago, I think Max Verstappen has been brilliant and we all know what the future holds for this guy. So if Lewis wins this championship and then Max goes on to break records and whatnot, Lewis will always kind of have that one up on Max Verstappen. So I think it would mm. definitely mean a lot to him if he was to win it. That's that's actually a really good point that I didn't necessarily think about. I mean, for, for those who, who wonder whether Max really is as good as he appears to be, mm. I, I would argue one piece of evidence for that, we, we mentioned how the Red Bull car is set up and it, it's very tailored to his driving style and everything. Remember, Max won his very first race for Red Bull, right? By, by definition, you can't have a car set up for you if the first time you're driving it, you won in it. I mean, Max is good, right? He's yeah. definitely he's definitely a real real talent. I think having the car set up is very helpful. But I, you know, this season and especially going up against an objective reference like Checo, someone who was not a Red Bull development driver, really kind of put him in the, in the higher level. So I don't know what he's going to go on to achieve, but but he's certainly a, an extremely good driver in my book. Yeah, absolutely right. And of course, it's that adaptability in certain situations where you don't necessarily have the best car or you're overly familiar, but you just find a way to extract performance out of the car that, you know, all the experts in the world scratch their heads trying to figure out how you did it. Into the point where maybe yourself may not even have known how to do it. And very few drivers have demonstrated that in the history of the sport. I mean, we're talking the Prost, the Senna's, the Schumacher's, the Lauders, Hamilton's, of course, Alonso to a degree. Uh, particularly in his Ferrari days as well. You know, no one understood how he was able to get that car into a championship fight and he, you know, very nearly won it on two occasions. So, yeah, it's a very interesting point to bring up. Um, I, I want to move on now to some of the other stories that are going on across the paddock. Of course, this championship is much more than just Hamilton and Verstappen, although as fun as it is to talk about those two, I want to talk about the battle going on between McLaren and Ferrari. Now, of course, Bryson is a veteran F1 fan like us. I'm, I'm very much loving this battle between McLaren and Ferrari. I'm sure you are too. Uh, of course, we'd prefer it for, for it not to be for third and fourth place. But even if it's not for the championship, it's still equally as enthralling as it would have been in the past. The hallmarks of those battles between the likes of Schumacher and Hakkinen, you know, Raikkonen and Schumacher, and of course, Ferrari, McLaren, Hamilton versus Massa, as we've already talked about as well. Um, it, it just feels like, Every time we go to a different circuit, we always get a different chapter in this battle. Like, who has the upper hand? You know, it seemed for a while that, particularly with Lando Norris, McLaren looked like the overall better team, better package, better car, better engine. We went to Turkey, of course, and after the brilliant form that McLaren and Norris and Ricardo had had in the last few races, of course, Monza being the highlight, and Sochi was nearly a wonderful day for Norris as well. It just felt that some of the upgrades Ferrari brought to their new engine, if you like, the one that Carlos Sainz obviously had to get a new one for for that race, and Charles Leclerc, for some reason, it just feels like Ferrari may have found something that might give him the edge towards the end of the season. Um, How do you see it going down this weekend between McLaren and Ferrari? Where is your head at? Who has the advantage going into this race? Yeah, I'm actually on record as riding off Ferrari earlier in the season. I've had to sort of eat crow, so to speak, They've been excellent recently. Um, I, I do think the, the upgrade to the energy store that Ferrari has been making first for uh, Charles and then for Carlos has been effective. And I think the data actually supports that. Um, it, it has been interesting going back and forth between McLaren and Ferrari. It seems like the McLaren car obviously has a great straight line speed advantage but also even in tracks where that doesn't really need that, 
it seems to be a little bit more difficult to set up optimally for a given track. Either it works beautifully at a track or it's just not quite there. Uh, Zandvoort comes to mind. You know, that was immediately preceding uh, Monza. Zandvoort was just a, a, a terrible weekend for McLaren. It was okay for, for Ferrari. Um, so as far as this upcoming weekend at Coda, I, I would probably think that McLaren has this. The, the, the back straight is just so long at, at Coda. You can gain so much time there. I think that straight line speed advantage would definitely help them. Um, but the question is, are they in that weird setup window where, they're, where, they, where they are caught out? I mentioned previously that the higher than expected grip level at Turkey caught some teams out, Red Bull being one of them. I also think McLaren was one of them as well. And that did, that did cause inherent balance issues with them last time out. Yeah, it's a very good point. And of course, you know, you're right to point out, you know, the electrical upgrades that Ferrari made to their uh, power unit package that have been so important. I think it's quite understated how significant energy storage and energy deployment, most importantly, something that Mercedes have really improved that particularly with their own team this season, an area that they struggled with in the earlier parts compared to Honda. Um, Courtney, would you agree with Bryson in, in, you know, because what he was saying effectively was that whilst McLaren and Ferrari, they, they do have uh, contrasting performances uh, from time to time, it, it does seem that McLaren have the higher peaks out of the two, whereas Ferrari seem to have a wider, consistent working range where Ferrari are pretty good at pretty much almost every track they go to, but McLaren are the ones that could really extract the performance to get a race win, for example, um, but it just doesn't happen every single week. You don't know what you're going to get with them. Yeah, I mean, with McLaren, they'll be slightly concerned about the, the upgrade from Ferrari because they've certainly made a step forward. Um, I just feel that with this battle, I just feel that Lando Norris is going to be vital to the outcome. We've seen Lando pull some great results out of the bag. And I know Daniel got the win in Monza and everything, but I just feel that last weekend, when, when the McLaren is bad, Daniel was particularly bad, whereas Lando's able to get some points here and there when he's able to. Whereas with Ferrari, if they have a good weekend, you, you'll see both Carlos and Charles Leclerc up there. So unfortunately, because of how Daniel's form has been this season, Lando Norris's form is going to be vital to decide who wins this, champion, uh, with this uh, battle in the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, that seems very true. I mean, the championship standings at the moment kind of paint that picture as well. I mean, we've got seven and a half points in the constructors between McLaren and Ferrari. And whilst they're not overly interested in who finishes high in the driver's standings, I think we could all agree that it's like that Lando Norris is going to be the highest finisher out of the four. The The gap between the McLaren drivers currently is 50 points in favour of Lando Norris, whereas Ferrari, it's half a point in favour of Carlos Sainz. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's incredible. That's, that's, that's two orders of magnitude. Exactly, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, Bryson, would you agree with that with Courtney? Do you feel that Lando could be key to this championship? Or well, interestingly, do you feel perhaps Ricardo, if he can conti- continue to improve his form like he did at Monza and have a few more races like that, do you feel that could be the key battle? Because I think with Ferrari, you probably know what you're going to get from them. So it seems that McLaren either need Lando to do what he was doing earlier in the season a bit more, or Ricardo just needs to find that form like he did at Monza, because he's certainly got it in him when it all comes together. He just needs to bring it out more often than he yeah. has done. I, I do think Courtney kind of nailed this, which is McLaren does seem to have this higher highs, but less consistent highs, but also there seems to be a, a difference in driver performance. 
Ferrari, you know, whatever we, else we might want to say about them, their current driver pairing is, is very good and very consistent generally in terms of bringing home points. Um, so even if there was an inherent pace advantage with McLaren, that might be offset by driver performance. So I have literally no clue <laughs> who's going to win that particular battle. Um, you'd have to do a, a circuit by circuit breakdown of where you think someone might be strong. This question of why Mexico is so great for Red Bull a lot, has to do a lot with their turbocharger um, and how efficient and, and excellent it works with the low density, uh, high altitude uh, track circuit like that. I wonder what the differences are between the Mercedes power unit and the McLaren and Ferrari's power unit, how they would handle the higher a, uh, altitude as well. That could make uh, all the difference. Yeah, I mean, historically, Ferrari have not been fantastic at a circuit like Mexico in dealing with that higher density and, and, and you know, the, the altitude as well. They've, they, they've just struggled there, perhaps more so than Mercedes had. It's just because, of course, they have not really performed there traditionally over the last few years that probably people have not really noticed it as much. We'll have to wait and see. But it, it is an interesting dynamic because, of course, we've got four drivers here completely contrasting situations in their own teams where a lot of people have been focusing on Ferrari in this in in the way that they feel there might be an inter-team battle that might just explode out of nowhere between Sainz and Leclerc. I personally have not seen that sort of developing. I think that those guys have been running their own races so often this season that there's been very, very limited occasions where the two of them have, to, have had to come together. And even then, it's not really been an issue. And I don't feel it's that way at McLaren either because... For the same reason, Lando's been so good. Ricardo's had his moments. Of course, at Monza, there was a potential where that could have been, uh, you know, quite a big thing. But of course, they decided, or Lando, I suppose, decided that he wanted to hold position and protect the win for his team, which was an incredibly admirable move. I'm not sure if I'd have agreed with that if I was in Lando's seat, <laughs> but that's why Lando's in Formula One and I'm not. You know, just he's a better team player than I am when it comes to Formula One. Um, but I'm sure he'll have his day eventually. But it's an interesting battle. We'll just have to wait and see how it goes again. It could go either way. Um, but, but looking at the midfield, of course, we've got Alpine, AlphaTauri and Aston Martin. Now, of course, um, last time out in Turkey, uh, it was a very strong performance once again for Pierre Gasly. And I can't help but feel at the moment in this battle in the midfield, Alpine look like they're going to be comfortably the fifth best team at the moment because both Ocon and Fernando in particular are picking up results quite regularly in the points. Alpha Tauri, however, uh, I, I mean, Gasly at the moment is doing what Gasly does and hopefully he'll be rewarded for that um, next season at least by being in a much more competitive car than he is with all due respect to Alpha Tauri. But I'm worried about Yuki Tsunoda. I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on this one, Bryson, as well, because at the moment, Alpha Tauri, they've got one driver that they can rely on, they can count on to get great performances, be quick in qualifying, be consistent in the race, even if he has a bit of a wobble like we saw at Turkey in the first lap, he was still able to recover that and get a great result despite the penalty, which was probably unfairly awarded. But then you have Sonoda, who did a great job defending against Lewis Hamilton in the early stages, probably better than most people did in the race when they were up against Lewis. But then he ruined it for himself by a silly mistake at turn nine much later in the race, which cost him a valuable point, potentially. How do you feel regarding Yuki Tsunoda at the moment? Do you feel that this is a driver that, for whatever reason, he's just having a hard time putting it all together and putting in the performances we expected from him from his time at F2? Or perhaps do you feel that this is perhaps a driver that has got so much expectation and pressure on him that he's just struggling to make it work? Yeah, there does seem to be this assumption that because someone is good in a lower category, that that, that skill and that ability will necessarily translate into, into the higher categories. And F1 is, of course, the highest. 
That isn't always the case, but I also think that sometimes drivers take time to develop. I also think we might be slightly underselling how good Pierre Gasly actually is, <laughs> right? I, I imagine that if Yuki had a, a more average teammate, his performances might not look quite as bad. Um, Pierre is actually very, very good. And the, the small army of former Red Bull drivers has, has proven that there's fundamental issues with that car that certain people can work with and others can't, but the drivers themselves are actually quite good. Um, so I definitely think that Yuki needs a little bit more time potentially to learn how a modern Formula One car works. In fact, the 2022 cars are going to have less downforce and be slightly heavier. They would drive more like F2 cars than current Formula One cars. I mean, not it's not it's obviously a much higher performance overall, but they're not going to be the extreme grip levels that we see currently. So even the rule change itself may help Yuki in, in his effort to be better. But regarding his defense with Lewis, um, I don't think his mistake later on in the race and his defense against Lewis are unconnected. I think he took a lot of life out of his tires earlier in the race to actually perform that defending that he kind of paid the price for later on. Uh, it's it, People were spinning all the time. Um, could happen to the best of us, <laughs> certainly. But I, I have hope for, you, for Yuki. He had an amazing start to his career, F1 career in testing. He was, you know, second fastest on the last day. But he needs to do better. I don't think he would deny that either. That's quite interesting, actually. Um, it, what you, the point you just made about Yuki Tsunoda when he was battling Lewis? Would you would you say that was perhaps a little bit of an experience that he was fighting a battle against someone that wasn't really in the same race as him, and as a result, it looked impressive his defensive skills. But because of what happened as a result of ruining his tyres too soon, was perhaps explaining why nobody else up until he got to Perez was fighting Lewis off in the same manner. I, I don't think the decision to hold up Lewis was was Yuki's, made of his own volition. I imagine that orders came from on high to do everything humanly possible to delay Lewis, either from Helmet or from Frank Tost or whoever. Um, I think he did a good job for the team, for Alpha Tower and Red Bull, but he paid a personal price for it. No, that's fair enough. And it's a really good point that you made. I was actually quite intrigued by that, what you said about the 2022 cars. Of course, they look like they might be a little bit faster in certain areas, but of course, because they're heavier as well, they're going to be much harder to handle in the slow speed corners like the F2 cars traditionally are. Um, Charles Leclerc actually made this point as well. He was um, in the simulator, and of course, we can only get so much from the simulator, but the new age simulator that Ferrari have which they claim is on par uh, in terms of a CFD-wise to Mercedes and arguably Red Bull have, which is always a good thing. Um, he was saying that the cars for next season, they do behave a little bit like uh, how F2 cars were. Of course, the modern day ones, not the ones that he was driving, of course, because it was a different uh, chassis and different spec altogether. So that will be interesting to see if Yuki Tsunoda might excel driving those kind of cars uh, when they're a little bit more tough as a hand or at least in the slower speed corners. Um Let's move to Aston Martin um, whilst we round off these three teams fighting for fifth place. Um, it's a really strange one with Aston Martin because it seems all the positive noises coming from them are regarding what they're planning to do for the next few years. This project that they've embarked on, which I'm sure they were the first people to be well aware of this idea that if they're going to be championship challengers, it certainly wasn't going to happen overnight. Or at least they would have hoped that the new regulations might have given them an opportunity to maintain the performance they had last season, albeit how they actually got there is always up for debate. But that's another story <laughs> for another podcast. Um, but that all being said, it, it 
I kind of wonder if Aston Martin are having doubts over the two drivers that are in their team right now and how critical they are going to be to the overall outcome of this project that they've embarked on. Um, Courtney, we've talked about this a few times before already, but do you feel that Aston Martin might have doubts about Sebastian Vettel, not necessarily in being able to deliver what they expect of him performance-wise, but sticking around long enough and being interested long enough to actually kind of at least lay the foundations for this project going forward, perhaps in the same way that Michael Schumacher did when he was at Mercedes for a few seasons? Well, I mean, Sebastian Vettel's season hasn't been ideal, but it's certainly been an improvement from the end of his time at Ferrari. I think that'd be quite harsh just to rule him out. I think if Aston Martin were to give him a stable enough car, he'd do a great job. We saw it during his time at Red Bull. You know, obviously the car was exceptional, but when the setup's right for Sebastian Vettel and he's leading the race, for example, he's almost unstoppable. So, look, we all know Sebastian Vettel's capable of getting to that level of performance. I think they need to be more worried about the Lance Stroll situation. Obviously, we know the situation with his dad. There's no doubt that Lance Stroll is a competent driver, but he's not consistent enough. So going forward, if they want to be challenging for a championship, I think they need to be more worried about Lance Stroll than Sebastian Vettel. No, that's a fair point. Uh, and of course, Bryson being over in the North American region, um, I imagine there's probably a lot that's been said on Lance Stroll being one of the two drivers from that part of the world on the F1 grid at the moment. Um, I mean, would you agree with Courtney that perhaps Lance Stroll could potentially be more of a hindrance to this project that his uh, father has invested so much in? Or do you feel that there's still plenty more that Lance can offer to this team and for the long term, of course, reap the benefits of if he sticks around? I, I do think that the the relationship between Lance and his father is obviously inherently nepotistic and problematic. And we can talk about the details of that, but I don't think it's quite as bad as people think. I think Lance actually is a, a fairly competent driver. I, I do agree that some of the consistency could be improved, but he's actually pretty good in the wet when he's seen him in the wet. And I think his overall pace is actually quite good. I think, I think initially all of us feared that Lance Stroll might be what Nikita Mazepin actually is. Mm. And I think once we realized that he wasn't quite that, um, I think we kind of warmed up to him in his, in his uh, time in the team. I agree that at some point in the future, whether it's next year or two years from now or three years from now, the time will come when Lawrence Stroll will have to decide whether or not to hire the best driver for the team or his son. I don't know if that time is right now, but it will happen eventually. We'll see what decision he makes, but he has a high degree of confidence in Lance. Um, so at least for the short term, I, I think he's he's in a good position. Now, regarding their, uh, their aspirational plans that Aston Martin has, they're doing... I don't want to say uh, <laughs> super villain level activities over at the campus over there, but there's a complex that they're making with a ton of infrastructure and have very ambitious plans of what they want to do in the future. So I expect them to make moves up the grid. The reason why it was so difficult this year is because they were reverse engineered uh, the Mercedes car. And, you know, if you copy someone else's homework and you don't know how to do it, when someone asks you to change the numbers that go into it, you can't actually reproduce it because you don't understand how the concept works. So that's part of the reason why they haven't quite retained the same form this year. Yeah, of course, Mercedes have excelled in trying to adapt and change their car and Aston Martin have been left scratching their heads trying to figure it out. And of course, they can't go back to Mercedes like they did before, quite humorously. It's an interesting point you mentioned, obviously, 
Aston Martin and perhaps in particular Lawrence Stroll having to play the pantomime villain, if you like, in... Um, it does have that aura about it. With all due respect to everyone at Aston Martin, there are lots of great people there and it's a very exciting project that they've embarked on. They're very quickly going to become one of the most lucrative and sought-after teams for drivers to be a part of in the next three or four years because they could very much... Um, they have everything in place they will do at that time to compete with anybody in the sport, not necessarily where they are now. So... It will be interesting to see how that goes. I just kind of get this vibe with Lawrence Stroll that he has this aura about him where the man means business, and and, and pun intended, of course, but um, he does seem like someone that I have absolute faith in, that I feel he, he will make sure that this team gets to the top of Formula 1. There's just everything that he's done since he's been in the sport has been positive. It may not necessarily have been seen in that regard because of his connection with his son and perhaps the way he carries himself or perhaps the way some people fear him um, because of how strong a character he is, uh, whether you know, for good or better. Um, it just feels like there's a sense of inevitability with Aston Martin and, you know, the timeliness of how, when this project becomes successful could be down to who they have driving their car rather than who they have actually building that championship uh, winning you know, machine, which whenever that will be. Um, out of the three teams this weekend, Alpine, uh, Aston Martin and Alpha Tauri, who do you think is most likely to get the best result this weekend? Uh, Courtney, what are you thinking this weekend? I'm going to go with Alpine. Um, you know, you, you can't look. Pierre Gasly, you always expect him to get a great result out of the bag. But because of the the second drivers in the respective teams. I think Ocon's been a lot more consistent this season compared to Sonoda. So I do think if you're putting it down to who's going to outscore who the most, I think Alpine are going to win the, the cumulative points battle with this upcoming weekend. That's fair enough. Um, Bryson, I see you're nodding your head uh, quite a lot at that. I'm guessing you would probably agree with Courtney that Alpine, in particular Fernando Alonso, look like they are the ones to beat this weekend. Perhaps uh, controversially or uncontroversially, I completely agree. I, I think Alpine is probably going to be the ones who do the best this weekend. Um, there's some things that I really like about their car design, their car concept that favors certain tracks than others. And as you mentioned, the consistency of the drivers is is well documented. So I also vote Alpine. Yeah, it's interesting with them because no matter what session it is, they always seem to have a different level of performance in every single session that they roll out. They're either brilliant or they're not so brilliant or somewhere in between. But of late, I think almost under the radar, they have kind of been putting the performances together. Uh, Esteban Ocon did a brilliant job with the no-stop strategy at the Turkish Grand Prix, which rewarded him with a point, just about. If he was on the lead lap, he wouldn't have been so fortunate. And of course, Fernando Alonso... (laughs) He didn't have the best of races because of his own mistakes. Um, one at the start with Gasly and, of course, punting Mick Schumacher. So, um, But overall, Fernando has been as we'd hoped Fernando would be. Incredibly quick, incredibly hard to beat and box office whenever he's in an interview. And that's what we love about Fernando is we just hope he's going to be in a more competitive car next season. I would love to see him back in the fight for a race wins or even a championship. I don't think... I don't think the world is ready for that, considering what we've already had with Max and Lewis. You chuck Fernando into the mix and maybe Charles Leclerc and uh, maybe Lando Norris as well. You've got fireworks. And George Russell, let's not forget him next season. He could be a big factor as well at Mercedes. I'm sure, Bryson, you're probably looking forward to seeing how George gets on at Mercedes next season. Um, but seeing as we're on that subject, we might as well talk about Williams, of course. Um, they had a bit of a subpar 
weekend. They weren't really anywhere in Turkey. Um, obviously scoring a lot of points this season after Hungary. They just went on an absolute tear of points, particularly George. And then, of course, you've got Alfa Romeo that don't seem to be doing much. And then Haas having their own battle with Mick and Mazepin at the moment. I mean, out of those three teams... Are you expecting much from any of them this weekend or do you feel that perhaps they're all just going to revert back to being the C-class of the field, if you like, with all due respect to them? <laughs> uh, it depends. If it rains, maybe Mick Schumacher can make it into Q3. Who knows what will happen? <laughs> Mick, Mick has, been, has been really excellent. You know, yeah, I, I really don't know. Kimi had a good result, uh, you know, in, in, in Turkey, reasonably good result. I have no idea, but I, I, I do expect them to kind of revert. I am very interested in these Andretti Alfa Romeo talks though. And in terms of the outlook for the future, I think, I think there's some things going on behind the scenes that we're not really seeing the full details of yet that are going to have major implications for some of the teams going forward. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think it's a good way to sort of bring us into this discussion with Andretti because, of course, we've been hearing a lot of rumours in the last couple of weeks completely came out of nowhere that Andretti were looking to enter into Formula One, obviously via the Sauber route, buying into what would be the Alfa Romeo team. Um, and it, it's gathered pace, it's gathered momentum to the point now where it almost seems inevitable that it's going to be announced that Andretti will be joining Formula One. Obviously, as an American fan yourself, it's and one that's been part of the sport for so long, it's probably been rather difficult to perhaps understand why America has not really tapped into Formula One in the way that we expected to with so many other sports and so many other racing series, like a duck to water, quite literally. So is this something that really excites you, that perhaps this could potentially be the first step of, into something special for American Formula One fans? It definitely could. I, I would remind everyone that the United States used to be far more involved in Formula One. I mean, the Indy 500 used to be a race. I don't think it was part of the championship, but F1 cars race in the Indy 500 in the 70s or 60s or whatever it was. There just seems to be this gradual divergence that happened, focusing on our own domestic series over here and Formula One going in its own direction. I think there's a lot of untapped potential here in the United States. And I think Liberty media kind of recognized that right away. They understood that some modifications might need to be made in order to, to package formula one in a way that would make it more palatable to uh, people in the United States and North America in general. Um, but I think they're doing that. I think they're executing on their plans and not only would an American team, another American team, I would say, um, go a, a huge way towards having more interest in the United States. But Andretti specifically, not only are they taking in Roman Grosjean on the IndyCar side, which already people are talking about that, but if they were to bring someone into the F1 side, um, having a, an American driver or potentially even a Mexican driver and if someone else is doing something, um, that's, a, that's a huge deal. And I think that alone could do wonders for F1 in the United States. I think the last person we had was Scott Speed, who has the, the greatest Formula One name of all time, I, I would argue. Um, but he, he was never, he, he was amazingly quick in the series that he raced over here, um, but he was never really in the championship fights when he was in Formula One. So it would be a great idea to actually have a, an American team and or driver. Haas has been 
fine, I suppose. Um, but I've I've never really felt that they represented the, the best we had to offer. So I'm very excited about the uh, entry discussions. My understanding is that a formal offer has been made for controlling stake of uh, Sauber. The question is, what's Cyber going to do about it? And personally, I hope it happens. I think it'd be great for the sport. We also have discussions about having a potential third race in the United States, in addition to Coda and uh, Miami, potentially Las Vegas or somewhere else. I think that would also be uh, a good idea. Yeah, I mean, if we do get a race in Las Vegas, F1 stag weekends are going to get a lot more interesting. A lot of lads going to, <laughs> uh, and of course, Hendus as well, with women involved in F1 as well, going to be going to Vegas and go and catch a Grand Prix. And of course, we've had F1 races in the past in Vegas, we shouldn't forget. So it would be a welcome return. And there's just something about the razzle-dazzle with Las Vegas that I feel like F1 would be perfectly fit for. It just seems two entities to merge together like Vegas and F1. It just seems it works. It really does. The glamour and everything that goes with it. Um, well, yeah, we saw it recently, yeah. though, didn't we? With uh, the Tyson Fury fight. Yes. How the, yeah. how the location kind of helped build the hype for that fight. So you definitely see the same thing happen in Formula 1. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we... Uh, it's funny, and that reminds me of a very interesting question, seeing as we're on the topic of boxing, that I, I want to ask Bryson, actually. We, there was a while ago that we, um, when tensions were flaring between Christian Horner and Toto Wolff, um, uh, you know, the back and forth and everything else, and we were asking a few of our guests on this, and uh, we completely forgot about it, so Courtney is reminding me, I'm going to bring it back. Who would you <laughs> think, who do you think would win a charity boxing match between Christian Horner and Toto Wolff? Man, you know, Christian's is scrappy. You know, I, I feel like I feel like he he's got some 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 moves that he could actually, you know, use his height advantage as being a little bit lower to kind of you know get down in certain areas. I but but Toto's got the reach, you know. So man, it's I'm not even sure they would fight in the same weight class, wouldn't they? No, no, I mean they would they'd have to no, give Christian no, Horner no. a step ladder. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, to so fight him. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say Toto so that I avoid being uh, mentioned several times on Twitter later today. <laughs> I'll say Toto will, will win, but it, I don't think it's as clear cut as some other people might think. Uh, you know, I, I imagine Christian knows how to box. In fact, someone I know for sure knows how to box is Daniel Kvyat. Um, Daniel Kvyat is actually a very passionate boxer, very well informed. I think he was talking to um, Natalie Pinkham about boxing once, and I've seen him sort of train. There was one video that Daniel Kvyat did for Pirelli. He did a Pirelli test. He like randomly had a black eye. If you remember saying that, oh yeah, yes. and I I remember thinking at the time like, who who punched Daniel Kubia? <laughs> and the answer to that mystery was actually that he's he's into boxing. He was boxing a lot and got hit in the eye. Um, so so yeah, maybe he taught Christian a few things. <laughs> yeah, now there's that could be on the undercard as well. Danny Kvyat for Max Verstappen, and for those people yeah. wondering why that would be interesting, I'm not going to explain it. You're going to have to ask your F1 friends on social media and just uh, just type in Kvyat and Verstappen. You won't be disappointed. But yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. Um, everybody said that Toto Wolff would probably win purely because of the size difference between the two. Toto is considerably taller and bigger and probably more akin to boxing in every way i mean in drive to survive obviously that scene where toto's in the gym on the bench press i saw that and i just thought yeah christian i love you mate but <laughs> i'm sorry you got to go with toto on that one um but yeah, you, on the andretti front you're right bryce and i i feel like with Haas, you know we talked about this before we came on uh, on the show and 
with Huss, it, it pretty much extends in terms of the American influence as far as uh, Gene Huss signing the paychecks and all the news being reported back to him. But it operates very much like a European or a Swiss outfit in the way that Salber are. And it's a very run outfit, you know, under Gunther Steiner, all the brilliant people at the team as doing as best as they can with what limited resources they can. There's only so much that they can do. And next year is going to be a big year for them in terms of whether that gamble to prioritise 2022 will pay off. And of course, with a driver lineup like Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin, you really don't know what you're going to get. I mean, at least with Mick, of course, we're seeing progress and we're seeing signs of what we saw from Mick in the junior series. With Mazepin, it's a lot more underwhelming, I suppose, by comparison. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But importantly, of course, I do feel that there is now a time, as you said, similar to how it was in the older days where America was more involved in F1 than perhaps it has been in the last couple of decades, that we do need an American franchise in F1 very much that channels that racing spirit that is completely unique to the American fan base. And I feel like American fans have been bringing to the sport, they just don't have a team or in particular a driver since Scott Speed that they've been able to unanimously get behind. I mean, is there one driver in particular from perhaps IndyCar, from another series that could make that transition to Formula One that you feel that would really reach the sport for the better? Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of support in North America for a Pato Award who's going to have a test with McLaren next week, I want to say, in the McLaren F1 car. Uh, Colton Herta also kind of is a popular character here. Um, those are the two that I would say primarily are the best candidates to make a, make a jump. I don't know when, <laughs> I don't know. There's so many things going on. It's hard to even keep track of in certain situations. One additional wild card I'll mention to you. I'm hearing rumors that there's actually another team coming to formula one as well. That's independent of the Andretti takeover of Sauber potentially. It hasn't been announced yet. And it hasn't been discussed yet. But my understanding is that something else is coming in addition to what we already have that you may want to keep an eye on in the future. So I'm not saying it's confirmed. You didn't, you didn't hear it here first. You didn't hear it here first, but we definitely need more teams on the grid. Definitely. And my understanding is that they are coming. Well, I'm already writing the tweet and I'm going to say Bryson Sullivan on Twitter reckons that he another team is going to be joining F1 along with Andretti, not related to it, completely independent. Watch this space via the DNF1 podcast. So if you get loads of hate, uh, I apologise for that. But uh, you heard it here first from Bryson, who's as reliable as any F1 outlet these days, let's say. I mean, some, some of the more reliable ones have come out some really, really weird stuff to the point where I feel like they've just become glorified parody pages just because more people enjoy it. Um, and by it's, it's the same level as those people that really annoy me on Twitter that they, you know, with the driver announcements, like the old ones, like Valtteri Bottas signs a new deal with Mercedes. They recycle yeah. that one every time the George Russell rumours come about to the point it's where F1, they, they had to change the image that they would use for driver <laughs> announcements because of that. I yeah. hate those people. That like, was, that was, there's a special, you know, there's a special type of bad thing that I hope happens to those particular people and only to them. You can be as explicit <laughs> as you like, mate. We don't. No, no. You know. <laughs> oh, it's the, no, race, just... it's, it's the ratio, people. The, the, the kids that do the, um, who would have to be the celebrities always say ratio, ratio, ratio. They're, they're the worst ones for me at the moment. Do you know, do you know what yeah, I think we... they should do? They should have like a question before we'll come back to their set. We'll have a questionnaire on social media before you sign up with an account and a question to simply ask, do you consider ratio as a barometer for success? If you do, you're not allowed to have social media. <laughs> it like takes you off the page into somewhere else. Yeah, so social media is 
is the wild west in many ways i think it's slowly getting better over time but it's it's an aggressive force multiplier the the good parts about it are really good and the bad parts about it are appallingly bad so make of that what you will yeah, no, I couldn't, couldn't agree more with that. Um, but that brings us nicely, of course, um, to our predictions. I mean, we'll talk about the F1 Canada in a bit, um, but let's get our predictions out of the way uh, before we get to that final part of the episode. Um, Bryson, what we normally do, we usually go for our pole position and our race winner, including our top three, and then a bold random prediction, if you can think of one for the race. So, um, Courtney, if you want to go first, whilst I, I let Bryson have a little bit of time to think um, about it, who do you think is going to win? Of course, who's going to get pole, top three, and a bold prediction, please? I'm expecting a really strong weekend from Lewis, you know. So I'm going to say pole and win for Lewis, Max second, Valtteri third. And bold prediction... Do you know what? I've, I've been saying it a few times, but I'm expecting an exceptional result for Fernando Alonso. I'm going to say top five for Fernando because he he because yeah. he, he actually qualified really well in Turkey, and it's because of that um, that contact with Gasly at the start that robbed him. So I'm going to go for Fernando Alonso again, top five finish. I am going to agree with you in almost every regard except for one. So I'm going to go with Lewis to win with pole position, Max second, Valtteri third, and my bold prediction. I'm going to go Pierre Gasly top five this weekend mm-hmm. I, I think as i said the honda cars are strong here as well um and i think gasly yeah he'll just keep that form going i think he's got another big performance in him so i'm gonna go with that um bryson how about you i'm gonna go lewis on pole lewis wins valtteri second because he's in resurgent form max third and i'm gonna say daniel ricardo top five uh because he loves the states he has a house in LA. He's going to feel comfortable and the good results are just going to flow from him. So I, I predict that Daniel Ricardo, yeah, I, I predict for Daniel Ricardo is going to have a great race. He may or may not, you know, finish ahead of Lando uh, incidents, notwithstanding, but I think he's going to have a solid weekend. Yeah, now it sounds pretty plausible. I mean, we should give Danny Rick more credit because he does tend to do well at Cota. It's one of the circuits where he does tend to do better, you know, than others. So perhaps this race might suit him in a season where he's had a lot of big ups and, you know, equally big down. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes down. Um, In terms of the calendar itself, of course, we saw the calendar uh, announced the last couple of days, or at least over the course of the weekend. I'm just having a quick look at it now on my phone. Um, Of course, we've got the two races in the US. We've got the one at Kota, and of course, we've got the one in Miami in May, earlier in the season. The one thing that I've noticed about the F1 calendar, whilst I'm relatively happy with the races that are on the calendar, as I expected them to be, there's not been too many massive changes. It's mostly about timeliness or when the races are going to happen. For example, Saudi Arabia is going to be happening straight after Bahrain, whereas, of course, it's the penultimate rate of the season here. Um, It seems to be a logistics uh, issue that a lot of people seem to have in terms of certain places that we're going to be travelling to across the season are a bit crazy. For example, of course, we're going to be going from Imola to the US to go to Miami and then straight back to uh, Spain in a couple of weeks' time. And then we've got quite a few triple headers in there as well at a time where F1 personnel, mechanics, and you know the, the teams there have been constantly complaining that F1 have been ignoring their pleas to try and make this calendar a little bit more spacious to give them a bit more time or at least the logistics of it to be a bit easier so they don't feel like they have to travel for so long work 12 to 14 hour days for 
weeks and weeks, sometimes even months on end. Um, and this season, it, it just feels that we're going to be getting a lot of that. Do you, do you feel that this is um, this is a problem that F1 are creating by not listening to the people in the team in, in, in F1 that they should be looking after? Or do you feel that F1 is just becoming a victim of its own, not necessarily greed, but desire to be more expansive to the world in a year that they've had to condense it? Because, of course, we've got the FIFA World Cup um, at the end of 2022 to worry about. Yeah, I... It is a problem. Uh, There's no two ways about this. I've been fortunate enough in the time that I've um, sort of grown in exposure in the F1 community to actually interact with and talk with people who are in F1 teams or have been formerly in in Formula One teams. And they understand that the problem is real and that it seems to be growing. There's not enough feedback between what the teams are doing and what they have to do and what Formula One and its objectives are in terms of adding more races, more races in different areas, you know, the Middle East, for example. The one thing that we don't want is a situation where it gets so bad that workers and teams decide to stop working, right? If they, if they feel that their voices are not being heard to such a degree that they strike, essentially have some sort of a labor strike, that would be catastrophic for pretty much everyone i think it's in formula one's best interest and and everyone's best interest to actually listen to what the teams are saying what the personnel teams are saying what they have to do um and trying to accommodate them in whatever way is possible if that means changing not necessarily the races that we're going to but maybe the when they happen there just needs to be a bit more feedback and a bit more reciprocity there regarding miami the biggest issue with Miami is really about weather. Weather changes quite dramatically in Florida. I'm from Florida originally, so I, I can tell you that's definitely true. And they also, because of the venue, have to deal with football, um, American football, NFL. There are certain times of the year that they just can't have access to that, that particular location. So I can understand that. But uh, logistically, looking at the map and tracking the destinations is uh, eye-watering, <laughs> to say the least. I mean... It- it seems to me that, of course, F1 want to have as many races as they possibly can. And whilst F1 fans will like the idea of having more races, sometimes there can be such a thing as too many. And before COVID was a thing, F1 was looking at 25 races and they produced a calendar where the logistics of it was going to be managed, that they were going to have all the races in one continent, then move on to the next, then to the next. And then we have the end of the season, like you had North American races, your European races, your Asian races. Uh, and then your South American, et cetera, et cetera. It seems obviously they've moved away from that. But I feel that perhaps if they're going to try and accommodate that many races into the Canada, of course, we're already at a record, potentially record-breaking season in terms of races, and we're going to go beyond that next year. It feels like F1 may need to adopt that. I mean, how many races in your mind, Bryson, do you feel would be an ideal number for the F1 season? Do you feel that we're there now, or do you feel perhaps we've got too many or perhaps not enough? Personally, I like the round number of 20 races. Um, I think it gives um, a fair number of races and a fair variety of tracks to really see who the true champions are as opposed to the champions of a particular type of track. Um, It also could leave enough space in the calendar to do rookie testing, for example. If you wanted to have a a guaranteed test to do uh, testing for rookies in the sport, you could could do that more easily with, with fewer races. I think we're, we're getting close to the maximum possible number. It's already kind of tough, 
I think 20 would be a good number for me personally. No, that's fair enough. Um, Courtney, in addition to all of this as well, we've got to remember that, you know, the world is changing. We're looking for more sustainable methods of, uh, in terms of a sporting perspective, sustainable methods to actually keep F1 going, being the pinnacle of motorsport. Um, there's obviously been that drive for sustainable fuels, I think from 2026 onwards, I believe, or 2025, something like that. Um, and of course, they're increasing that amount of sustainable fuels being used from next season, of course, with the E10 fuels. Um it feels like a few teams as well that have obviously taken this approach to go a bit more carbon neutral, a bit more environmentally efficient, like Mercedes, Ferrari in particular this season. Williams, of course, announcing recently their ambitions to 2030 onwards. It just feels that with all of that going on, that things are going in the right direction, but it just feels like with F1 trying to have as many races as they possibly can and obviously not arranging the races so that logistically they're a bit more manageable from a climate perspective, that perhaps the biggest reason for them to try and make this calendar a bit more simple or perhaps not have as many races as they're trying, they're kind of ignoring that almost for the benefit of the show. Do you feel that that's about right? Or do you feel that F1 are at the moment on the cusp of managing that in terms of a climate perspective? I'm glad. I'm actually really glad you raised that because I was going to mention that, you know, F1, the people at the top of F1 are trying to find ways to have younger fans engaged more with the sport. Younger people in particular are very concerned about the climate situation. And obviously, Formula One is a pinnacle of motorsport. So we'll have this reputation of having a massive carbon footprint contributing to the planet dying and everything. So with these kind of decisions where it's obviously going to be well documented that you've got billionaires going back and forth from different continents just for the sake of it. It doesn't look good for Formula One as a brand, particularly for as I said, for younger fans trying to get into the sport. I think the amount of races themselves are an issue in their own right. But I just think they need to have a look at the the calendar in a way. Because I, I think they try to do it for this season as much as possible. Yes, the COVID situation helped in a strange way. But they need to think of ways of having... Like you have the Europe... Like we have traditionally, you have the European section of the season, the Asias, the Americas, having them in different sections of the season to limit the carbon footprint because the way the world is going, it has to be a consideration going forward. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I would just I'll just echo that and at one point is that my, my background is in aviation originally, really, uh, in aerospace engineering. And I can tell you that the, the amount of carbon emissions from flying a 777 or an A330 around the world to all these races, it, it, it makes the emissions from the actual cars themselves like pale into insignificance. Right. Jeez. Flying, flying around the world is much, I mean, the optics are obviously very different. You don't see the planes flying around and it's not as visible mm. in, the, in the social sense, but in terms of the actual emissions, flying, flying around the world is actually much, much of a bigger deal. So I, I would argue that Formula One should invest a non-zero amount of energy into e-fuels for aviation as well you know, sustainable fuels for aviation, that would actually have a much bigger impact on the, the the net carbon emissions that we have than the cars themselves. The cars, they're very noisy and they, you know, they're very visible in terms of, of what their emissions are, but flying around the world is actually the big chunk of where it's happening. Yeah, I was going to ask about this because I was quite intrigued um, when we were talking. Obviously, you, you mentioned you had that um, background in aviation and obviously, you know, quite an expertise in that because... Y- 
you're right in what you're saying. Like, you know, because of what's going on, what F1 is doing on the track seems rather insignificant from a carbon emissions perspective. And I'm quite curious about this because there was a story in in the UK uh, quite recently this weekend, uh, one of the football teams, Manchester United, there was a big story that they uh, flew to Leicester for a football game uh, that they were playing in and it was a hundred mile journey. So everyone's (laughs) thinking... Like, everyone's thinking, why? Like, we're, we're in a bit of a climate emergency where we're trying to be more efficient. And then you've got a professional football team, one of the biggest brands in world football, um, getting a plane to do a 100-mile trip. That's like a couple of hours on a coach. And you just think, why are they doing that? And it, it just kind of feels like with F1, uh, to certain degrees, having similar hallmarks with that issue, that perhaps you're right. You know, would seeking alternative fuels or more sustainable fuels for the aviation industry be a better way for f1 to challenge or channel its technology rather than perhaps what they've been trying to do on track not just with sustainable fuels but this turbo hybrid um uh challenge that they've had and they've managed to do rather well but it's just not really filtered down into the into the motor industry for example from a consumer's perspective i think i think that's the important point the question is why are we pursuing these advances in the sustainability side in F1? And it's actually not so much directly because of their own emissions. It's kind of like a technology demonstration arena. It's really to design things that can ultimately be used in, in other vehicles. And I think they are still doing that. I think they are making progress with that. Um, as far as the V6 turbo hybrid architecture, those, these engines are actually incredibly efficient. I know in, in the popular space, the shift is more towards uh, electric vehicles, for sure. Um, I, I still think there's a space there and some scope for technology to filter down to other vehicles um, in the in the consumer area. Um, but it's an interesting question. I just we have to be sensible about how we plan the races that we go to and the order that we go to them, because literally, you know, the the, the permutations of this, the amount of extra travel that you're doing in various order, orders of the races. It's like you can like you could easily double the amount of you know miles you have to fly. So we just we just have to be sensible about it and find something that works for everybody. Yeah, absolutely right. And of course, you know, Sebastian Vettel made this comment about F1 saying that it has to change and quickly, otherwise it will cease to exist, at least in the manner that we know. I mean, it can't go full electric because Formula E exclusively own the rights to be in a fully electric series on its own till at least 2035 or something like that, I believe. So F1 can't go down that route. Not that I would want it to anyway, but it just feels that not just F1, but other industries as well, from a climate perspective, that we're running out of time to find solutions that are going to work for the long term to avoid the climate change, or at least the serious levels of it. So we can't really afford to be playing around with different ideas without committing to something we know that's going to work. And then, you know, going full ham on it, pardoning the pun, you, you have <laughs> to do you have to do it. Um, you can't just half ass it, if you like. But look, as much as I would love to talk aviation with you, Bryson, and F1 cut and everything else, obviously I am aware of your other commitments and time-wise. So um, I think that's a good time more than any uh, to wrap it up. Um, it's, it's been a fantastic discussion with you, Bryson. Really, really enjoyed it and really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, just for the benefit of our listeners and our audience, um, where can they find you on social to learn more and, of course, on your other mediums as well? I'm, I'm pretty much exclusively on Twitter. I think it may have been, you know, March or late February, even that I dedicated my account, my account only to formula one and, and motorsports and aviation things. Um, but I'm at natural paradigm on Twitter. Um, there, there may be a few other things that I'm involved in, but primarily that's where I am. 
Great. And, and we'll leave uh, a link to the description if you are watching this on YouTube so that you can check out Bryson on social media as well. Lots of great stuff on there. Really, really interesting. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out, guys. Um, of course, if you have enjoyed this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, if you are watching on YouTube, don't forget you can subscribe to the channel. It's absolutely free. And we'd really, really look forward to welcoming you with open arms to the DNF1 family. There's plenty of room for all of you. So do get involved as well. Of course, if you are listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure to follow the show. And if you can, give us a nice rating as well we'd really appreciate a five-star rating of course it really helps to pod out and reach other audiences as well but until next time guys of course we'll have to wait and see how the u.s grand prix unfolds will it be lewis hamilton taking the charge to the championship or will max verstappen get back on top we'll have to wait until next time but we've been dnf1 and we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast take care Podcast Network.